Good morning to all of you. Uh, I'm Shelton Woods. I'm part of the community here at All Saints and uh, so happy to open up the word uh, to you this morning. Have you ever seen a movie or watched a movie that the only description that you can have after watching that movie is that you're just absolutely stunned? Like, Like you can't even hardly get out of your chair because you're so stunned by that movie. I've had several of them. One of them happened uh, 23 years ago, and it's very appropriate that I mention this movie today because uh, today is D-Day. That is, 77 years ago today, 156,000 Americans and British and Canadians landed on Normandy on their way to try and, and stop Hitler, and they began their march. Of course, many of you may know the movie I'm speaking about is called Saving Private Ryan, and after I saw that film, uh, and I know I'm dating myself here, um, these young people may not know what I'm talking about, but I, it was just uh, uh, an amazing film. Near the beginning of that movie, there's an actor who is playing the part of George Marshall, who was the Army Chief of Staff at the time. And he he reads a letter, and this is actually a a, a true letter in history, written in history, written on November 21st, 1864, uh, to a woman named Mrs. Bixby who was living in Boston. Some of you might remember uh, this letter. Let me read just a couple of uh, lines from this letter to Mrs. Bixby. Dear Madam, I have been shown in the files of the War Department that you are the mother of five sons who have all died gloriously on the field of battle. I feel how weak and fruitless must be any word of mine which should attempt to help you from your grief and your loss that is so overwhelming. But I cannot stop from tendering you the consolation that might be found in the thanks of the Republic that they died to save I pray that our Heavenly Father may assuage the anguish of your bereavement and leave you only with the cherished memory of the loved and lost and the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice on the altar of freedom. Yours very sincerely and respectfully, Abraham Lincoln. The reason for that letter, the reason that it is read at the beginning of that film, is that what, that's what that film is all about in terms of going and, and saving Private Ryan. This summer, we are going to be going through the book of Galatians. And I want to begin this morning by speaking about why this book was written. Why was it ever written? You know, Paul wrote 13 letters This was the first one. In fact, this is probably the first book written in the New Testament, 17 years after the resurrection of Christ. Now, I just mentioned 23 years ago when Saving Private Ryan came out. This is even earlier than this. This is just 17 years after uh, the resurrection. And so I want to briefly set the stage today and then just talk about a couple of things that we see here in these first five verses. So would you pray with me before we begin? 
Our Father in heaven, we thank you for already being able to worship you as a community, to hear the, the good words that you send comfort to us. And we pray that you would help us as we open up your word today, that the Spirit uh, would, would uh, put seeds into hearts that are ready to receive them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So appropriate that we begin with this book this summer because we just finished the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is the history of the early church. And this takes us back to the very beginning, the first missionary journey uh, that we have. And uh, there's a map that uh, I provided uh, for you. Uh, Actually, it it may not be that clear. These places were not in the Mediterranean Sea. They were actually on on land. Um, But uh, I'd draw your attention to uh, a place called Antioch, which was just north of Jerusalem in modern-day Syria. Now, there's two Antiochs. There's one on the left, which is Pisidian. The reason there are all these Antiochs in the first century is because there was a a Greek Hellenistic king, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, and so a lot of cities were named after him. Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch in Syria, and the movement of Christianity was starting to move from Jerusalem up into Antioch. In fact, it says in the book of Acts that Christians were first called Christians in Antioch. And, uh, and so there, there they are, and God calls Paul and Barnabas to leave Antioch and to go start preaching to the Gentiles. And so they do. They first go to Cyprus, which is the home island of Barnabas, and then they make their way to the modern uh, province in Turkey called Ankara. At the time, the province was called Galatia. And you can see what, he, what they did. They started in Perga, Pisidian, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, And when they got done, they went back and they visited all those cities. And then... Uh, And and churches were started in all those cities. And then Paul and Barnabas, as you can see in the map, they make their way back to where they began in Antioch. And they get there, and there's great news. Paul and Barnabas have great news. And that is, God has opened the eyes of the Gentiles. They are converting to Christianity And this is wonderful news. We thought that this would just be perhaps something that might be localized. It is spreading everywhere. And this is just the beginning. There's the good news. And then the bad news comes. While they're there rejoicing in what God is doing, somebody comes and tells Paul, hey, Paul, this is what you need to know. As soon as you were done in Galatia, somebody else went there. Might have been one man, might have been a few of them. And they went to all these churches that you started, and they said that it's great that you're believing in Jesus, except you also have to follow the Jewish laws. Uh, You have to follow the Sabbaths and the festivals, and physically you need to be circumcised. So if you really want to be a Christian, you've got to um, follow these laws, the uh, dietary laws, Again, the physical circumcision. That's bad news. Between the time that Paul heard this message and then went down to the first council of Jerusalem, which was in 50 AD, he writes this letter. This letter is extremely unique. This letter is 
I don't know if anybody has ever done this before. This letter is like writing a blistering email or a text, and your finger is shaking. Should I hit the, the send? Should I hit the mouse and send it? Paul hit the mouse and sent the letter. It is a bomb. He is furious. It's unique in that it wasn't written to one church. It was a regional, and it wasn't dealing with just one problem in one church. It was a regional letter. I believe that a case could be made that Galatians, of all the New Testament books, changed Western civilization. In fact, Martin Luther, whose wife was called Catherine, Martin Luther said, Galatians is my Catherine of the New Testament. John and Charles Wesley were converted through the reading of the commentary on Galatians. John Bunyan, uh, he wrote an important book that many of us Christians really love, um, Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan said this, before any other book, this is for the doubter and those with a wounded conscience. So let's just notice a couple of things about this book. First of all, the way that Paul begins this, you can look at his other letters, and you can look at other first century letters. At the beginning of the uh, letters, you always say something like, um, I thank God for you. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that we can have some type of communication. There is not one thank you in the book of Galatians. Paul doesn't begin by saying, I thank God for you. He doesn't begin by saying, I'm thankful to be able to write to you. He starts by saying, I want you to know who I am. Note what he says in verse 1. I'm an apostle. And I haven't been sent by a man or men. I have been sent by Jesus Christ and God the Father. I didn't go to Galatia to give you an option of what is true. Who or what are you believing? Next week, we'll look at verse 6, the heart of of this uh, book. But Paul begins by saying there's a truth. There is truth, and it doesn't come from me. And it's not an optional truth. This came from God. He sent me. He gave me the message. And if anything is countercultural in America today, it's that statement that there is truth from God. The conservatives say, I won't do what the government tells me to do. The secularists say, don't let the church tell me what to do. Kids, Disney tells you, don't do what your parents tell you to do. It's whatever floats your boat, whatever works. And what people find so offensive about Christianity is this. It's exclusive nature. That God is telling us what is true. And this is such a great pity because the message of God's love is in the gospel. Well, what is the truth? Well, we find it in verse number four. God gave himself for us 
and rescued us from this present evil age. Just two things here. He rescued us. God rescued us. What image do you have when you think of a rescue? Somebody flailing in a river or falls off of a boat and they're flailing in the water and they need to be rescued because if they are not rescued, they will drown. And what do you do to that person who is flailing in the water? You do not throw them a manual on how to swim. (laughs) Hey, read this book. This will really be helpful. But that's what many of us have experienced. We're drowning in this world in our own thoughts and in our own confusion. And we think that the answer is, well, I'll follow the Ten Commandments. The answer is, I'll, I'll be disciplined and I'll become a better person. The answer is, I'll go to some uh, psychotherapist and I'll learn how to fix my relationships that are dysfunctional. We don't throw manuals to a drowning person. We throw them something that they can use to float on, to grab onto, or we jump in and save them. And Jesus rescued us by not throwing us a manual, but throwing himself in the water. You remember at one point, Jesus is talking about Jonah, and Jesus said, a greater than Jonah is here, and I'm going to be thrown into the water, and I'm going to be killed so that you could be rescued. I want to tell you a story that some of you may have heard uh, it took place in uh, July of 1945, uh, June, June and July of 1945. You might be familiar with it. The United States came up with the atomic bomb, and uh, we were trying to figure out how we could end the war with Japan without having to you know, jump from Okinawa to um, Kyushu and then on up to Honshu, up to Tokyo, trying to figure out how we could do that. And uh, they, they worked really hard to create this bomb that could obliterate a city in an instant. It was such a, a, a secret that they put the bomb on a ship, and even the people on the ship didn't know what was on that ship. It was the USS Indianapolis. And uh, the ship left San Francisco and went over uh, to the Mariana Islands, to Tinian, and did it in 10 days, I think. It was, a, it was a record of going across the ocean with this atomic bomb, which was going to be used on Hiroshima. And they dropped off the bomb, and then this USS Indianapolis with 1,200 crew uh, uh, went south toward the Philippines. And... Uh, they were successful. They, again, they didn't know what they had dropped off at Tinian. And uh, so they were heading south, and about 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, the USS Indianapolis was spotted by a Japanese submarine that put two torpedoes in it, and it sunk within about 15 minutes. Uh, I said that there were 1,200 men. Uh, 300 of them died. 
instantly 900 of them went into the water. But for three, four, five days, nobody knew that the USS Indianapolis had sunk. And of those 900 men that went into the water that were there for five days before they were spotted, 600 of them died. Uh, a lot of them by sharks, uh, a lot of them by drowning. They were finally spotted by an, an airplane and they, they were rescued. There are several books I could mention to you that you can read about this. It's, it's quite an amazing story. But um, I'm interested in one individual that was spotted and he was away from the whole group. And they, the plane landed near, near that person and after five days in the water by himself, fending off the sharks, fighting for his sanity. His mind had been disillusioned, perhaps, by drinking salt water. And they said, we're here to save you. And he swam the other way and said, I don't want any help. And after waiting five days, he drowned when rescue was there for him. They couldn't get to him because he swam and swam till he had no strength left and sunk in the Pacific. God helps some of us because that's what we've been doing for years and years. God comes to rescue us and we say, I'm, I'm okay, I read my Bible every morning. I'm okay, I have... Uh, family worship, maybe four or five nights out of the week. I'm okay. I've got my theology straight. I'm a Calvinist. And we push Christ away because we trust in ourselves. We think that we can rescue ourselves. But please note what it says here. Um, which can be very confusing. It's in verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. What does that mean? I don't think it means what a lot of people think. I don't have a lot of time to tell you about this, but I'd be happy to meet and talk to you about it. The early Christians, the way that they understood salvation wasn't so much this idea of being saved so that you stay away from hell and you get to go in heaven, to heaven. That wasn't their idea of things when, when, the, when the gospel went out. The gospel, when it went out, their idea of being rescued was to be rescued from right now, from living in this present evil age. Don't make the mistake of thinking that what Paul is saying here is that we, all of us need to get out of this evil age um, as soon as we can and get to heaven. That's not what he's talking about. Look at the, the, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We, we are to enjoy all of the things that we have here. 
being rescued from this present evil age doesn't mean that we go and live on a mountain and don't enjoy literature and don't enjoy good films and don't enjoy good food and don't enjoy good drink. I mean, just read Paul and Jesus and they, they talk about stories and they talk about uh, sports games That's not what it means to be rescued out of this present evil age. Jesus' very first miracle was to have a better party. (laughs) That was his first miracle. Let's keep the party going. Let me make some wine and keep it. Now, Jesus loved metaphors. Being rescued from this present evil age doesn't mean getting out of this culture. So what does it mean? What it means is that we are actually in a new kingdom. We enjoy all of these things that life has and living on this planet, but we do it under the reign of a new king. And we conquer, not by a sword, but by loving God with all of our heart and loving our neighbors as ourselves and loving our enemies by following a new king, by enjoying the gifts that he has given us, marriage, children, job, homes, money, resources, but they're all all just gifts from God. What What it means to be rescued from this present evil age is to enjoy life but understand we're under a new king. We are in a new kingdom because, of course, nothing can satisfy us. And don't wait till you get to 61 years old to figure this out. Nothing can satisfy us except King Jesus because our hearts remain restless until they find their rest in him. Which actually brings me to my final point here. One of the strangest things of this whole story that I've told you this morning is where Paul began his missionary journey. He began it in the Roman province of Galatia. Galatia, and you might remember this, and all these cities that are mentioned and that you can see on the map, Derby, Lystra, uh, Iconium, uh, those were cities that were set up by the Roman Empire for retired soldiers. And so when you were done with your service, You were given a social security check and you were able to go to these cities and so they were filled with Roman soldiers who were retired. And there was only one religion in all of these cities and it was this religion. Caesar is Lord. We are in a kingdom and that kingdom belongs to Caesar. Now you'd think that Paul would start somewhere a little bit easier than with soldiers who have their position because of their religion saying that I'm in a kingdom and that's the Roman kingdom and there's one Lord and that's Caesar. And Paul goes there and says there's a new king and there's a new kingdom and it's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I 
just finished reading a book called The Last Wild Men of Borneo by Carl Hoffman. It talks about a Swiss traveler named Bruno Monser who went to Borneo in the 1970s and decided to live like the indigenous people um, known as the Pinan peoples. And Bruno Monser, this uh, Swiss traveler, he just disappears because he became exactly like the Pinan people, ate like them, dressed like them. But he disappeared, and, and so Carl Hoffman goes to Borneo to try and retrace the, the steps of Bruno Monser. And what he finds so amazing about the Pinan people is their spirituality. He says in the book, everything in their life is about the spiritual rather than just the material. And he says, I'm an atheist, and, um, but I'm jealous of their spirituality. I know some Christians, Hoffman says, but their spirituality is maybe church every other Sunday. But he says, I cannot leave my atheism uh, because I don't want to lose my freedom. I want to say this to you who are Christians uh, this morning. The way that the world is going to be transformed, the way that God is going to use all saints, is the same way that he did it 2,000 years ago. By us not being afraid to say, there's a new king. For us to say, that king is, is Jesus. Come into my home. Early on in our marriage, we had friends living in South Africa, and uh, they said, uh, we've got some people who are going to visit Los Angeles, and uh, we we're wondering, could, uh, could they stay with you for one night? And Karen and I, newlyweds, we said, yeah, sure, have them stay with us. And so they came to our house. And they stayed with us just one night. And that night changed, in some sense, our marriage. Because this couple, and what they, they got a van, and they were, they were an elderly couple, and they were just going to go, I think, up and down the coast of California. And uh, ours was the first place they were going to stop. But the love that we saw in their marriage, which was centered on Christ, one of the things that I remember saying to myself is, these people are in a different kingdom. <laughs> They've got a different king. Love came out of them like sweat comes out when we're running. And that is what's going to change the world. That we belong to a new kingdom and our marriage isn't about me. 
and my job isn't about me. And our children, is, they're not about us. They're about being under the reign of Jesus Christ. And then just several years later, I had to go to Hawaii for a summer. I know that's really hard. Um, I worked at the University of Hawaii for a summer, and we were trying to figure out which church to go to. And so there's this church that I found uh, in the phone book called Honolulu Bible Church. And so Karen and I went to that church that day changed our lives as well. Because we went to Honolulu Bible Church. And before the service was over, four families had invited us to go over to their house to have lunch. They didn't know us. We, were just, we just walked in off the street. And that church was a church that said, Jesus is our king, and because he's our king, we want to love everybody that walks through that door. And as we begin this book of Galatians, I want you to know that Paul was not afraid to go into the enemy territory to say, there's a new king and it's not Caesar. And as we work with our neighbors, as we work with each other, as a kingdom means that there, there, there's a community, as we work together, may we have that strength as well. May we be bold. Maybe we don't even have to say, like this couple from South Africa, they didn't say, Jesus is our king. But it was very apparent that, that he was their king. May Christ make that so with us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for the good news that you have taken us out of darkness as Jeff spoke earlier and translate us into, transferred us into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of your dear son. Perhaps there would be less divisions in your church if we realized that we've been rescued not by anything that we've done but because of Christ. Maybe it would help us if we realize that we're in a kingdom that conquers through love. As we go through Galatians this summer, Father, teach us what it is to hold on to the gospel because we pray through Jesus' name, amen.